I want to kind of recap where we've been in Nehemiah. Uh, so the first half of the book of Nehemiah, they built a wall, right? And so they, they, Nehemiah was burdened by the broken wall in Jerusalem. And so he came back into Israel and organized the people to rebuild the wall. And so, so they did that in the first half of the book. And in the second half of the book, they are kind of rebuilding the community. And specifically, they're rebuilding the community about what, around what's most important, namely the worship of God. And they walk through that. They walk through repentance. They walk through what does worship of God through the festival of booths look like? What, what, what does it look like to obey God's word? They, they repented again. And, and so we've kind of seen the process of the people of God worshiping, uh, growing into a worshiping community. And, and we're going to see that even further today. And, and I think we can take a lot of practical uh, helps from it so that we can become a greater worshiping community. And, and so that's what you're going to see in, in, in Nehemiah 11 and 12. Now, I'm not going to read the entirety of 11 and 12 if you've scanned it at all. Some of you read before you get in here. If you've scanned it at all, there's a ton of names. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to do that to you today. Uh, I'm not going to do that to Jose, who's translating today. Um, I, I'm, I'm, so we're not going to walk through that. Uh, you can read that on your own. I'm going to read parts of it, and, uh, and we're going to kind of navigate through. But I, I do want to give an overarching who's being listed here because again it's another list of names uh, first in in chapter 11 he lists the families who uh were repopulating jerusalem then he named the families who live in the cities of judah and benjamin then he names in, in the beginning of 12 he names the priests and the levites of uh, of zerubbabel's return and then he names the high priest then the priests and levites after zerubbabel's uh death and then scripture that we'll get into he talks about the dedication of the wall and the organization of of temple support and so uh we're going to kind of walk through the bookends of those and give you some overarching i think helpful things to kind of walk out of here with now one of the things you're going to see about the israelites is just their willingness to do what god calls them to do he calls them to some difficult things and they step into it he calls them to, and explains to them what is right worship, and they step into it, right? So, so they have a great desire to worship God for how God deserves to be, to be worshipped. And, and I think what we're going to see in this text, we're going to see that they, they go where God tells them to go. Basically, they live, they live where God calls them to live. Uh, they serve how God calls them to serve, and they love each other. They love the community. Uh, they love the worship of God as God calls them to, to love and worship him. And so we're going to see that. So let's dive in, starting in uh, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Let's start there. It says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. So you have the leaders there, right? And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine of the ten remained in the other towns. And the, and the people blessed all the men who were willingly offered who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. First thing we see here is of, of, of people who are called to worship God as they live where God calls them to live. 
Um, so what's I'm picturing a scene like from the Hunger Games a little bit, right? Like they're casting lots. You got these people outside of the city. They're calling 10% of them to move back into the city. Now, let, let me remind you of w- what has happened, right? So remember, Jerusalem was in shambles. It was an economic wasteland. Like no one wanted to live in the city. It was far more economically advantageous to live outside of the city because then you could farm land, you could grow animals, right? You could, you, you could live off of the land. And, and so to move into the city that was destroyed, A, it, it offered you no protection. Uh, I don't know if you know this, if you read through the Old Testament, if you just look at history, predominantly when, when civilizations would attack other civilizations, they go after the city. They don't go after the suburbs primarily. They're first going after the heart of the city. And uh, so nobody wanted to live in the city. It had no walls to protect them. And, and, and so finally Nehemiah builds the walls and now they're worshiping God, but, but they need to repopulate the city for several reasons. One, so it can continue to prosper, uh, but also, and I think primarily, so that God can be worshipped as he deserves to be worshipped. And so he's calling God's people to come back into the holy city where the temple of God is so that God would be worshipped rightly. And, and so basically he goes into the into the burbs and he they cast lots and uh and 10 percent of them have to come in and so they cast lots somebody goes it says the rest of them are like bless you brother for going into the city right it's like i'll be the tribute you know here he goes and uh and 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 into the city he begins living now he gives up he gives up his land he gives up his stuff he goes uh to into the city willingly, not begrudgingly, as far as we can tell, to repopulate uh, the city and to give uh, God due worship that he, uh, he deserves. So there's a lot that we can kind of talk about in this. And, and, and let me give you some numbers. There's about, um, probably, there's about 100,000 Jews around the time. And so, so basically, he's asked about 3,000 men, about 10,000 people to move back into the city. <coughs> so... You, you have a group of people that are, that are just picking up, giving up everything, and moving back into the city. Now, there's a lot of practical we can take from this. One is, um, you know, it's always funny to me when I'm thinking about the difference for them moving into the city or moving outside the city. Um, you, you know, in our culture, we always want what we don't have right people who live in the city would get so tired of traffic and we want to we want to or people and and just crowdedness and we want to move to uh you know whatever uh, okeechobee or i don't know uh you know we want to move to cluiston where there's nobody within like whatever miles and um and and uh and then people who live out there want to be like within a mile of a Publix, right and so they want to move in the city like we, we oftentimes want what we don't have and uh and so i think for us uh, particularly i want us to kind of shift perspective for where we are where we are because i want to argue to you you're not where you are arbitrarily that god has placed you where you are specifically for right worship of him now here's here's again what i want to want to press in on you because so often and maybe you're guilty of this when you moved here uh and so i want to make sure you're not guilty of this if you move out of here uh one of the last things that we consider when we make a move in life one of the last things we consider is the spiritual ramifications. And so often when we say, oh, we, we, we've got a job offer, or we've got this opportunity, we make pros and cons lists. And you know who doesn't typically show up on the pros and cons list? 
God. Right? It's God bless this, God bless this. But have you begun to consider what this means for you and your family spiritually? I, I've been in ministry for over 20 years now. If I could, I, I, I could count so many instances where people have not considered the things of God. They were flourishing within the body of Christ. They were flourishing in serving. Their kids were growing in Christ. They decided they wanted to move for a bigger paycheck, and then they just began to wander spiritually. And they say, what happened? Well, what do you think happened? You didn't even consider what God wanted you to do. And so, so what I want us to be is a people that say, I think it's important for us to consider and, and pray that if this be of God, that he move first in a spiritual manner. Not just, hey, open the door. Hey, I got a bigger paycheck. Hey, we could get grandma's house or whatever. But God, what, what do you have for me in this? Is my family growing spiritually? Um, is there a church, a, a Bible-preaching, gospel-centered church that we could be a part of? That should be, before you find a home, you should find a church. And, and so that we would consider that where we live matters in worship of God. That we would consider that we're not just arbitrarily roaming around place to place, and it doesn't matter where we are, God's everywhere, just go where the money is. But that instead we would say, we want to live on obedience, in obedience to where God has us live. Because we want to live as, as ministers of the gospel, ministers of reconciliation. You are not here arbitrarily. God has placed you here to shine the light of Christ into the darkness. And so if he's to move you from here, let it be for that reason. Let it be because you are called by God to take the light of the gospel to wherever God is calling you to be. You know, South Florida is an interesting world, right? And, uh, you know, I, I can say this because I'm, I'm not from here and neither are you. I mean, I don't know what the percentages are now. I know we did a membership meeting not long ago. There were 25 people in the members meeting. I said, who's from Florida? One hand. Uh, you know, so we're all kind of transplants. I mean, there's a few of you faithful ones, that, Floridians that I just love. Uh, but, but it's a unique place because when you talk to people, they either love it or they hate it here, right? If you've come from New York or New Jersey, you're like, I love this place, right? This is way better than New York, right? This is way better, especially it's December, and you're like, it's no-brainer, yeah. And, uh, but then there's some that I've talked to that they just, and, and this is believer and non-believer alike conversations I've had with people. Like, like literally people have asked me, why would you move here? Why would you move here from Tennessee? Tennessee's great. It's awesome. Why, would, why do you want to come here? Right? Like, and they can't, they, they're dying to get out of here. I, I remember when I was interviewed here. Uh, it's funny because I, I laugh with Keith about it now, but they kept asking me. Keith and Buzz asked me several times, like, uh, now why, why Florida? Why do you want to move to Florida? And I finally I was like, why are you asking me that? And they said, genuinely, they said, well, we've had to filter through candidates that just want to be close to the beach. I said, I'm redheaded and hate the sun. I'm not here for the beach, all right? Uh, might be here for the golf, but not here for the beach, right? Uh, 
And, and, and so, you know, but, but why, why we move somewhere matters. And, and my hope is that one of the priorities in the why you would move here or move out of here is that's where God wants you to be. And I think it's more important than a paycheck, a climate. Is this where God would have you to pour out your days for the sake of the gospel? Is this where God would have you burn up your ministry life? Pouring it out in discipleship of the church and declaration of the gospel to the non-believer. And if he should so move you to another place that higher on that priority and pros and cons list is how, what kind of ministry can we have at that location? What kind of ministry are they, you know, are we going to have to our children? How is God going to use us if we were to move from here? And so where they live matter. And so God called 10% of them to move back in the city. And you know what? They said, yeah, we're going to do it. And the people around them said, we're thankful you're going to do it. We're going to bless you. We're going we're gonna to send with you. We, we want to partner with you because we know that this is important. The worship, the right worship of our God is that important that, that you would drop everything and go and we're going we're gonna to bless that. And you go. And so they come back into the city to worship, to worship Him rightly. So, so for us, we just need to be ministry-minded about where we live. You're, you, again, you are not here arbitrarily. You're not here accidentally. God has placed you here for His own glory and for your own good. Second thing we see, we see uh, that we're, we, need, we need to serve how God calls us to serve. If you kind of walk through the passage, what, what you're going to see is, again, those that are outside uh, not moving to the city bless those that are that are in the city particularly they also contribute you will see later in in chapter 12 they contribute to the needs of of the city and to the needs of the worship of god within the temple and so one of the things you see here is you have uh different people playing different roles in the reestablishment of a worshipful community you have people that are moving back into the city to 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 be hands on there uh in in jerusalem to repopulate and rebuild the city and give god the worship he deserves then you have the people that are still staying outside that are kind of funding that and supporting that and, and like championing that so you have a lot of different people playing different different roles um how this plays out for us is I think if we're going to be a true worshipful community, that plays out in, in, in that whatever and however God has gifted you, you use that gift uh, collectively, and it comes together for greater worship of who he is. Now, in the New Testament, it talks about the church as a body, right? Some people are an eye of the body. Uh, some people are a hand of the body. Some people are other parts, uh, uh, of that body and uh and, and he says the eye is not the feet right and so where we can kind of get off on this is and, and, and kind of get sideways on this is when uh an eye begins to judge everyone else in the church for not being an eye right you, you're not an eye what's wrong with you you should be an eye but yet the eye can't walk anywhere <laughs> Right? And so without the feet to walk, it's, the eye is just going to roll around. Right? 
And so we need other parts of the body to, to move in different ways so that we function as a, as a true body. And if our eyes are closed and we're just walking, we're going to run into things. So, so we need one another in our different giftings to come together as one body to serve Christ and our community as Christ would serve our community. We need one another. So, I mean, our church is very blessed. We have, we have incredible teachers here. Um, and I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about the other teachers. We have great teachers here uh, we, we, that, that really, truly, rightly divide the word of, of truth and uh, are faithful teachers and communicators. Uh, but that's not everybody's gifting. Uh, th- most of us are probably not called to be teachers. Uh, you, you know, but... Th- God has gifted you in other ways. I mean, we have people that, that use those gifts um, in, in many other ways. I think about how there are folks that come on Saturday to just clean up the parking lot. They just servant-hearted, want to create a good experience for you as you pull in that you're not having to drive over palm branches or whatever, right? And, and so it, there are people that are gifted with people, right? So we, we put them with people. There, there are people who are gifted, uh, not gifted with people. So we put them on like, Roles where they don't have to deal with people, right? Uh, they're gifted in serving. They're, they're, there's some gifted in kids. We all have different gifts uh, that God has given us. Now, here's the thing. You're going to see with the, the people of God in Jerusalem that everyone was called to serve in the way God has called them to serve. God has gifted you. Now the question is, how are you using that gift? Are you using that gift in service to disciple his church or to declare the gospel? He's gifted you. Are you using that gift to serve and to, to, to help stir up a worshipful community within the body of Christ? Uh, if you're, you've been gifted by God and you're not using that gift, what's going to happen is you're just going to get spiritually stagnant, stale, right? You're going to begin to think, what, what's happening to me? What's going on with me? And I would ask, how has God gifted you? Are you using that? Well, no. Well, okay, there we go. And so he's gifted you in some way. How are you, how are you serving him and using that in, into the, in, in the body of Christ? Uh, the other thing we see here is, uh, is that God calls us to love, love the people that God tells us to love, right? That he, he's, he's given the people of Israel a specific community, and they're to pour their lives out for that community. Uh, you know, we are called to love one another, in the body of Christ, we're called to love, I think, Boynton Beach, where we are in, the, in Palm Beach County. I think we're called, to, and, and specifically what I mean by love, I don't just mean by being nice, I, though that's probably a part of it. Some of you could use that word. Uh, but it goes beyond just being nice to proclaiming the goodness of Christ, to proclaiming the gospel, that we would love in such a way that is faithful to preach the gospel to the community around us. So, so God calls them to love um, love the community here now one of the things you see in this long list of names and uh, before we get into uh, chapter 12 one of the things you see i I love when it's like it lists um one kind of leader and then it says and there was like 200 people with him or or some different numbers and and these folks are given a shout out but they're but they're never acknowledged their name is never mentioned uh in in the text here we don't know who they are but god knows who they are and they live a faithful life unto God and walked in obedience as God called them to walk in obedience and God knows them 
He knows him. Now, one of the things I think we can slip into is forgetting that God knows us individually, right? We think we can just kind of, if we just hang out close enough to Christian people, maybe God will let us in accidentally, right? Like you're just walking in, maybe you just kind of hide, maybe they won't notice or check, you know, check, see if you're good to go. Uh, and it, but no, God knows each of us individually, and 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 He loves in that way. And so, so if we're going to be like Him, we need to love like Him. Meaning, people have to be very important to us. People have to be very important to us. Now, uh, this is important, and I think this is important for the church, especially in South Florida. One of the things that I've noticed. Now, culturally, I'm. Tennessee, right? Um, and if you've been to Tennessee, it's bless your heart. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, how you doing, honey? And, um, you know, you go out to a restaurant. And you, you, even when you drive, you cut someone off. You say, I'm sorry, right? Uh, things like that. Matter of fact, I told y'all, I think I told y'all, uh, Pastor Jose, I was here about a month, and uh, we're riding somewhere, and he lays on his horn at somebody. I'm like, bro, if you honked your horn like that in Tennessee, you better be ready to fight somebody. It ain't like that in Tennessee. Like, you know, like we're nice, and then when we're not nice, we fight. You know, that's kind of what, that's kind of how it works, right? Uh, but one of the things that I saw in moving here is um, just simply being courteous to individuals is so countercultural that it's given us opportunity to explain the gospel. Can I just be real with you? And 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 we want to be clear because. Uh, we went to first watch a couple weeks ago. The waitress was like, where are you from? I said, well, we're from Tennessee. Yeah, I knew you weren't from here. You're nice. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, we're nice, but we're not nice because we're from Tennessee. You know, we, we love people because Christ loves people. We love people because God loves people. And so what I want to press on is just our hearts that we don't get swept away with the culture that we live in to hate people. And that fleshes out in a lot of ways. That fleshes out, and you've heard me preach this before, where we become garage door down kind of people, where you work all day, you come home, you hit the garage button, you pull in, and you hit it again, and you don't see anybody. Or you, like, take your trash out and you hurry to the road and then bring it back real quick, you know? Like, where you don't want to see people. And this is a tough, tough kind of reality that we're living in. And what I want to press on is let us be more worshipful of God than that. Anybody can hate people. Not everybody can love people. And not anybody can love people as Christ loves people. And so let us be a people that go out of our way to be different than our culture, be different than the community around us, empowered by Christ to to live as he lived, to walk as he walked. You know, this fleshes out for a lot of us tonight. There's going to be people ringing your doorbell tonight. Uh, you know, they're, they're trick-or-treating probably in your neighborhood. So, some of you would take the option of, you know, turning out all the lights and hiding. And then you wonder, why, I don't know why I can't get to know my neighbors. <laughs> this is a great opportunity. They're coming to your house, right? Don't give out crappy candy and try to start conversations. That's all you got to do. And, and, and just be loving to your neighbor. 
Some of you are scared of that. The power of Christ is in you. What power does darkness have over the light? None. That's, that's how much. And so be the light of Christ. Not just tonight, but all the time. Be the light of Christ into the, into the darkness that we live in. That's, and that only comes because we love people as Christ loved people. Now, how this fleshes out in church world is, uh, you know, in church world, especially maybe a Baptist church world, oftentimes, and that's my, my context, is, uh, and this is probably every church, though, uh, the church begins to slip into, um, like, uh, um, prizing programs over people. Right? Like, uh, you, you know, I, my first church I served in, we had Fifth Sunday singings. Right? And uh, originally it was started to be kind of evangelistic, that, that people would come in to hear some people sing, but it had grown to a point uh, in, in the life of Fifth Sunday singings where no one was coming but like 20% of church members. It's like, why are we doing this? Right? What is the point here? And, and so a program... Uh, was valued o- over people. Well, well, we've always done it. This is what we've always done, right? Okay. Well, why? <laughs> you know, uh, we could be at home. That's better than this. You know, and and, uh, and so oftentimes churches slip into prizing programs over people. Uh, this is why it's for us as a church, we run everything through the filter of our mission statement. Obviously, we want to glorify God, and we, we do that by delighting in Him, which we'll talk about in a moment. Discipling the church and declaring the gospel to all people. Right, and so every program we do, from cradle to to the grave, uh, it, it has to be ran through. Does it create delight in God? Is it glorifying to God by creating the delight for God by discipling the church and declaring the gospel both to the church and to non-believers? If the program is not doing that, then let's get another program. The program is not. If the program is not in the Bible, we can scrap it and get a new program. Uh, we want to value people and see them walk through the process of discipleship and declaring the gospel to the nation. Now, th- that's how churches can kind of get it twisted. How we as individuals kind of get this messed up, again, is that we, again, don't, pri- don't personally uh, uh, prize or love people. One of the things that often happens in church world I won't point any of you out. This is none of you, right? Uh, but when maybe God lays an idea on your heart, some kind of ministry or, or something to be a part of, nine times out of ten, you know what your first action is? It's to come and tell me or, or someone on church. Hey, this is a good idea for the church to do. You know what my first reaction always is? Oh, that is a great idea. Why don't you go do it? And if it's good enough, then we'll come and get around it. Right? But God didn't give me that. You got, God gave you that. So go do it. So often we try to just outsource our love of people through programs at the church. <laughs> Instead of just getting your hands dirty. I heard this week of a ministry that a member of our church has been doing that I had, had, had no clue that they were doing. And they've been doing it for years. And, and, and this year we're looking at, hey, maybe we'll get behind this and get some more people involved in this. And they've been doing it on their own, loving the community and, and, and getting opportunities with lost families to talk about Jesus. How great is that? That's awesome. You've been doing that? You've been doing it on your own? You've been doing it on your own resources? That's awesome. That's a ministry we can get behind. 
right? And so they've been doing it. And, and, uh, and so for us, we, we need to begin to, to say, all right, what is the way that God is calling me to love the people around me specifically, personally? And if God grows that into something that we do corporately as a church, organizationally as a church, then we'll do that. But it, it starts with, with you doing it, the one that God called to do it. And, and, and so, again, we got to personally uh, you know, value people over programs. Everything's not a program. Just, just love people. Tell them about Jesus. And I know this might threaten you because, again, it's very vulnerable putting yourself out there, but I think it's, I think it's worth it. Now, let's read. I want to read uh, starting in verse 27 of chapter 12. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, that's important, with thanksgivings and with singing and cymbals and harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of Nephtophelites, also the Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba, and from Asmaph. For the singers had built themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests, again, this is important, verse 30, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the walls. Okay, so what we're going to see in the next few texts is, I think what they did practically to live where God called them to live, to serve how God called them to serve, and to love how God calls them to love. And the first thing you see here is they, they are purifying themselves. They're walking in the service of God, seeking and desiring a heart that is pure. Now, again, before they dedicate the wall, before they dedicate, you know, all, all the things, the, the priests and the Levites purify themselves. They, they, they set themselves apart. I think this is important for us. Um, it's specifically important for, for, for us in that we need to be a people that are set apart for the work that God has called us to be a part of. Now, what does that look like for us? Uh, obviously, um, you know, and, and practically speaking, I think it, it is us coming unto the Lord and, and saying, hey, I want to be used of you, Lord. Whatever you call me to do, I want to do. And then thirdly, is there any sin in me that I don't know about? Or let me repent of the sin that I do know about. Now, I want to walk in a way that honors you. When I'm serving you, I, I, want, I want to serve you with pure motives. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to serve you at a selfish ambition. I want to have a holy ambition. I, I don't want to have secret and hidden sin. I want, I want to be vulnerable and, and, and walking before you in, in community and walking in, in the way in which Christ walked. I, I want to be used of you, and I, I, want to, I want to have a heart that is purified. Now, for us, we know we're, we're not going to be perfect. We're going we're gonna to be tempted to sin. We're going to be tempted to have ill motives. We're, you know, we're going to get prideful. Well, maybe God bless us. We're going to get prideful. We're going to repent of that and walk in that way. I mean, our, our, sancti you know, our justification is in Christ. Our sanctification is a process, right? And we won't be perfect as Christ is perfect uh, until we're with him forever, right? Now, we're all in process for that. So if you think someone's perfect, 
uh, you, you have mistaken, right? Uh, they just haven't told you how all they're messed up, right? So it's a, it's a process of sanctification and growing in Christ until we, until we are with him forever. And, and, and he rids us of all sin, all death, right? And, and we walk in, in, uh, in complete purity. However, we can begin to seek those things now. In, in how we serve and how we love God, would you show us where we um, need to repent? Would you show us what we need to remove from our lives? Can you show us what we need to begin to add to our lives? How, how can we walk in a, a way that's pure of heart? For we want to serve you and give you the worship that you deserve. And so we want to be people that are, are, are walking as Christ walked. We want, to, we want to walk with pure hearts. Now, again, we won't get that perfect, but we, we, we press into that. We pray for that. We ask God to, to use us and, and to make us aware of the sin that, that might uh, uh, be taking a hold of our heart. And then look at verse 31. Verse 31 says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs and gave thanks. What you see here is you see... Uh, Nehemiah uh, then is calling them to serve by having worshipful hearts. He, 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 he uh, gets two choirs together. He, he sends them around the city singing and banging cymbals and, and just giving praise to God, uh, uh, just, just marching through the city, giving God due worship that, that he deserves. And, and so one of the things you see Nehemiah establishing here, again, is a people that is worshipful. And this is what we should desire as believers. What does it mean to be worshipful? Um, it doesn't mean you got to sing great, right? Uh, worship is more than singing, but worship is singing. I would encourage you while you're in here that you would be worshipful. You would sing. You, you would be engaged in the preaching of God's word. You, you would worship him by, by saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm here for you to move and work on me. I'm not just listening to the message for all the people that I know that need to hear it. I'm listening to it for me because I want to be more worshipful. And, and not only here, but that you would be a person that sings worship unto God outside of here. In your car, in your homes. Um, God has so blessed us to give us Spotify. So you don't have, if you can't carry a tune, that's great. Hit play. They can. They can help you. But that you would be, your homes would be filled with worship. Your, your car would be, you, you, you would just be a worshipful person. Uh, you would be daily committed to, to spending time with God in, 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 in awe of who He is through His Word. You, you would spend time just devotionally with Him, sitting with Him, beholding Christ. Uh, how we become more worshipful is, is not because, all right, I'm going to work real hard and sing more this week. No, no. It's that we set time intentionally aside and say, I'm going to put my eyes on Jesus. And as we truly put our eyes on Jesus, what he has accomplished for us, where we were not deserving to be saved, but he saved us through the work that he accomplished on the cross, it moves us to be a people that are worshipful. Worshipful does not just mean I can sing a song. Worshipful means I, I can be a, a, I'm a person in awe of who God is and in awe of what God has done to save a wretch like me. Therefore, he gets all of me. And what we will be doing forever around the throne of God is worshiping the greatness and the glory of our God. And so let's do it now. 
Let's be a people that are worshipful now. Because that moves us to what, what I think uh, Nehemiah is going to talk into, into a, a joy in the Lord. Now look, uh, I want to show you, because in Nehemiah 12, 43, um, he says, And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. Did you hear that, men? It was the men first, and then the women and children also. The men first, women and children also. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Um, there is a joy that comes from worship. Listen, I, I think God doesn't want you to work until he has your worship. And so many of you want to say, I want to do something for God. I want to do something for God. How about you start by worshiping him? I want to do, it's so easier to, so much easier just to do something. So much harder to lay our heart on the table and say, God, here I am. It's so much easier to say, okay, what task can I do? What to-do list? Can, give, give me something to do as opposed to just sitting and taking the good portion of Christ. It's easier. We have to be a people that are worshiping, and not just worshiping, but we delight in Christ. It's, again, it's one of the mission statements of his church that we want to delight in him, we want to delight in Christ, we want to delight in God. What does it mean to delight in him? Uh, again, this is not something that's manufactured. It's not like a false, like, happy-go-lucky kind of joy in the Lord. Uh, what delight in, in Christ is, it's understanding what the gospel is, namely that Christ, who didn't deserve to die, died instead of me, who did deserve to die, that he took on himself my sin and got poured out on him the wrath of God that my sins deserved, that when God looked at me from heaven, he didn't see something that was awesome. He, I wasn't just a little broken and maybe God come and maybe fix me a little bit. God, God come and repair, dust me off and set me back on my feet. I wasn't drowning in need of a life raft and God just come and get me out of the water and, you know, help me out. No, no, I was dead. I was spiritually dead. We were all spiritually dead. I was an enemy of God. A rebel against him. A God-hater. We did not deserve to be saved. God did not look down and say, I want him on my team. That's not how it works. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his own son, chose us in him before the foundations of the world, saved a people unto himself that didn't deserve it. And when we begin to realize that hey i didn't earn this i didn't deserve this he lavished his grace and mercy on me here is god and i wasn't just a little bit off but i was here and he reached down to save a wretch like me god saving a wretch of a sinner like me it moves me to worship and it moves me to a joy that transcends circumstances because i talked to two brothers this morning both of them are getting radiation and, and walking through cancer in the next couple weeks and you know what they're talking to me about they're talking about how good god has been to them this kind of delight, this kind of joy is not circumstantial. It can't be shaken by, by cancer. 
can't be shaken by loss of job. It can't be shaken by the, all the sufferings of the world. This kind of joy is in him because we know where we stand and we have been made to be the righteousness of Christ. We didn't earn that. That was given freely. And so the people that realize that, the people that dwell on that, the people that understand what has been wrought for your salvation have a joy in them that's unshakable, have a delight in Christ that transcends circumstances, that realizes how great our God is. I love what it says uh, at the end, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. You know, I'm not a big, I'm not a big baseball fan, but... I'm kind of a, you know, in Nashville, you either got to cheer for the Cubs or the Braves because there's only TBS or WGN growing up, right? And so I didn't want to cheer for the Cubs because they stunk. So I, I cheer for the Braves. And uh, obviously the Braves are in the World Series right now, right? So I'm watching the World Series game. I, I watched it until I fell asleep last night and watched, you know, whatever. Uh, saw who won. And, uh, but I'm just thinking about when someone uh, cranks a home run over the fence and the crowd just is going nuts, right? I just thought last night, how far through Atlanta can you hear that? Like, how far? The, obviously, there's joy there. Now, a lot of preachers will preach to you guilt and say, we should be like those people at the football stadium. I don't think we should. Uh, th their joy is circumstantial, right? That's why I haven't had joy in 10 years, because my team stinks, right? Uh, so, so we shouldn't be like that. We should have a steady joy, a steady delight in what Christ has accomplished. We don't need to be shouting like we're maniacs, right? It's a different kind of joy. But I think about the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. I, I, just, I just think about, man, their, their joy, it wasn't just a loud cry. It was, it was the, 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 the news that they were joyful in the Lord spread throughout the land. Oh, I would love for that to be the testimony of this church that you ask anybody in this neighborhood or you run into anybody at first watch and it's not just those are nice people but they've got the joy of the Lord and you can tell it. They've got a delight in Him and you can tell it. This is what it means to be a worshipful community. It means that we prioritize Christ. We prioritize His worship. We, we lay ourselves before Him. We ask Him to make us more like Him. We, we want to be a people that sing the praises of who He is. We want to be a worshipful people because He deserves a, a people that are worshipful. A people that live how He's called us to live, serve how He's called us to serve, and love how He's called us to love. Lastly, let's close out the text. Verse 44. And i got to go. Preaching long. On that day, verse 44, on that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgivings, thanksgiving to God. And all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel, and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Now, I've already talked about this. I, I, uh, 
didn't realize how much Nehemiah would encourage us to be generous, faithful givers, but you have it again. The people of God are giving unto the work of the Lord so that the work of the Lord can continue uh, to go forward. I'm not going to uh, hit that again. You can go back and watch sermons and, or stick around. We've got a, uh, some coming up where we're going to talk about this. But, but, but mainly what I want you to get uh, this morning is that the people of God were all in. They were all in. But whatever it costs, moving, financially, um, worshipfully, whatever it is, they were all in. Uh, they, they, whatever it meant to be a worshipful community and establish God at the rightful throne of their community, they wanted to do it. So they, they, they were all in. I, I love to, again, you see how much they mentioned King David. King David, who wrote most of the Psalms, who was labeled a man after God's own heart. Obviously, he was not perfect, but one of the things that David is known for is for being a worshipful man, a worshipful man of God. And so David is continuously used throughout this text to say we should worship as he showed us that he worshiped. And he worshiped through singing, he worshiped through uh, giving, he worshiped in a lot of different ways. And, and, and so Nehemiah, again, is establishing a worshipful community. Now, in closing, um, what I want us to understand, I've kind of already alluded to this, is, is that Christ through saving a people unto himself makes a people worshipful he makes us worshipful think about what god has accomplished for us we dead in our sins and trespasses had no hope god sent his own son who lived a perfect life right he was born of a virgin lived a perfect life uh was killed he didn't deserve it he was killed on my behalf he he, he died the death that i should have died because again second corinthians says uh, of him that he who knew no sin became sin so that i might become the righteousness of god so what that means is christ went to the cross our sin was laid upon him and not only was the sin of those who would believe in christ laid upon him but the wrath of god that my sins deserved was poured out onto him onto the cross on the cross of christ so he took on himself the wrath of god that i deserved this is a theological term called propitiation that, that the wrath of god was propitiated from me and moved to him so he took on himself the wrath of god and it doesn't stop there. Remember, it says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So the righteousness that Christ earned, that we couldn't earn, the perfection that he lived in complete pleasure to the Father God that we couldn't do, he gave unto us who believe. So now we stand forever under, covered under the righteousness of Christ. It's our only defense. When we stand before God, and if there's a theoretical question that says, what should I, why should I let you into heaven? Not one of us who are believers are going to say, because we were awesome. Because we deserved it. Because we were moral. We're not moralist here. There's no list of rules for us to keep. Christ has fulfilled every rule that we need to get us entrance into heaven. And so when we stand under judgment, it's, it, it, it's, it's standing under the righteousness of Christ, and therefore we are as holy as he is holy. We are, as Colossians says, above reproach. So we, we stand forever on the righteousness of Christ. And it doesn't stop there. For those whom are 
saved, those whom he adopted as sons and daughters uh, of God. He has then entrusted to us, indwelled in us, the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit moves us to be able to live as he calls us to live, serve as he calls us to serve, love as he calls us to love. So not only are we, are we saved, we didn't deserve it, we're given the righteousness of Christ forever, we stand as pure before God in heaven. He's entrusted to us, indwelling in us is the Holy Spirit, empowering us to be able to live as Christ lived. And we're not going to get that perfectly, but we have the Holy Spirit in us to move us to be the body of Christ to a dark world. It's why we're called the light of the world. Not because we're moralists. It's because we have Jesus. Not because we're awesome, but because we have the Holy Spirit moving within us. This is the goodness and greatness of our God. To save a people like us and then to use a people like us for His glory for our days to count for something that actually matters. What a great blessing it is to be considered a son and daughter of God. Now, no greater thoughts can we have than coming to the table of the Lord's Supper. The one who laid down his life so that we might have all that. Laid down his life so that sinners could be counted as saints. Laid down his life so those enslaved to sin can walk in righteousness and freedom in Christ. It was, it was won for us on the cross. It was bought in blood. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and when we take the Lord's Supper, it's just bread and juice, but it symbolizes the crucifixion of Christ on the cross and the fact that He became sin who knew no sin and gave unto us His own righteousness. It symbolizes what it costs to redeem a people like us. It symbolizes the act of, of God's mercy and grace in combination with God's justice meeting on the cross of Christ to, to write, uh, to, to, to deal with my sins appropriately and then to give me the grace and mercy that I, I'd be damned without. So when we come to the table, we're coming in remembrance of him. We're also coming as a body, as one, in unity of these truths to say, yes, I want to be used of God. I, I want to be in community with a worshipful community and give God the praise and glory that he so rightly 